Notions about Jews, their supposed power, their hidden influence and malign intent have surfaced within Labour as never before. July 2019, just months before the December general election of that year, the BBC releases a documentary by its prestige investigative outfit, Panorama. The title of the program, Is Labour Anti-Semitic? The title is posed as a question, but it comes to a pretty obvious conclusion. And it winds up locking in a public narrative on this subject. This is Al Jazeera Investigates. I'm Kevin Hurton. Welcome to The Labor Files, Episode 3, The Fall. Al Jazeera's I-Unit has obtained a massive leak of internal Labor Party documents and emails. When we left off, I was talking to my colleague Richard Sanders about the origins of the anti-Semitism scandal. We pick up talking about one of the more disturbing accounts in the BBC documentary. I remember watching this being horrified. Vitriolic abuse. At one point, you have a woman named Izzy Langer. The anti-Semitic abuse I received was what I was subjected to every single day. Telling me Hitler was right, telling me Hitler did not go far enough. Watching this, I was thinking, sounds like she's describing Stormfront or something like that, not a progressive political party. I was very struck by that comment. And it really ought to have been at that point that alarm bells started ringing at the BBC. Peter Oborn, a former conservative political columnist, thinks so too. Izzy Lenger. She came up with this utterly shocking statement, which really emphasised the scale of the, what one could only describe as the immorality and the depravity of Corbyn's Labour Party. The idea that in any Labour Party environment, that every single day people would be sitting there while this obviously repugnant anti-Semitism is directed at a Jewish person and do nothing about it, is simply inconceivable. It's absolutely inconceivable. Doesn't mean that what Lizzie Lenger is saying there is untrue, but it's just you've got to test these truth claims. What she's describing was well-documented. It was years before and seems to have nothing to do with the Labour Party. We find a story in the Daily Mail, Jewish student, faced vile anti-Semitic abuse after speaking out against Hitler posters on campus. This is a story in November 2015. Where somebody had put up posters around the campus saying Hitler was right. Izzy Lager, obviously quite rightly and understandably, objected to this. They were taken down. And having objected to these posters, she was subjected to further anti-Semitic abuse. This story was fairly widely covered. Is it that Izzy Langer has had two separate cases of people saying Hitler was right, or is she talking about the same one? Okay, there's another moment that stands out. A guy called Ben Westerman, who's described as the only Jewish investigator on the disputes team in 2016 and 2017. He describes a moment at the end of the interview he was conducting, and he says, person got up to leave the room and then turned back to me and said, where are you from? And I said, what do you mean, where am I from? And she said, I asked you, where are you from? And I said, I'm not prepared to discuss this. And they said, are you from Israel? (laughs) 
what can you say to that? You are assumed to be in cahoots with, with the Israeli government. It's this obsession with that that, that just spills over all, all the time into anti-Semitism. It was a devastating moment in the program and an emotional centerpiece, as, as far as I was concerned as a viewer. But was it true? Well, that's right. What happens is two women then come forward and say, well, hang on, he's talking about us. These two women, firstly, they're called Helen Marks and Rika Bird. The program omits to mention that they are both Jewish. I mean, again, they're both little old Jewish ladies. My name's Rika Bird. I'm 76 years old and the daughter of uh, Jewish parents. I'm Helen Marks and I'm 76 years old. My mother was brought up in what was Mandate Palestine and my father was brought up in Poland. He lost all his family during the Holocaust, apart from a brother. I went to go with Helen to the interview with Ben Westerman. I don't know if Ben Westerman was aware or not that I'm Jewish. I didn't have a clue that Westerman was Jewish. Another thing the program doesn't mention is that they recorded the conversation. With the agreements of the people carrying out the investigation. And you can hear the exchange that he's talking about. It matches the exchange in almost every detail, apart from the fact that Rika Bird doesn't say, are you from Israel? Let's play the actual recording. The first voice you'll hear is Rika Bird. So I'm just curious about, um, like, what branch are you in? I don't think that's relevant. Oh, OK. I, I hope that's OK. I'm sorry, I, just, I don't think where I'm from is, is at all relevant to, to the investigation. I said, what branch are you from? So I was just interested in what branch he was in, because he's obviously come up from London. So I was just asking in what I thought was a friendly, comradely way. And they said, are you from Israel? What can you say to that? When he says, are you from Israel? That's an absolute lie. I didn't say that. Helen Marks says that she's blindsided when she sees this on television. I could hardly believe it. It's a grave accusation to make against somebody. I'm not religious, but... I have such a big history of Judaism. The accusation of anti-Semitism negates my heritage. In the context of the program, he's saying this is everywhere. This is imbued in the fabric of the party, this kind of anti-Semitism. He's almost welling up as he's talking about it. What he's actually doing is accusing these two Jewish ladies, some of whom had multiple relatives who died in the Holocaust, of being anti-Semitic. That's right. Before we move on, there's one more thing worth mentioning. It has to do with who is interviewed for the program and, crucially, who is not. There are two Jewish organizations in the Labour Party, the Jewish Labour Movement and Jewish Voice for Labour. The Jewish Labour Movement is the larger of the two. The Jewish Labour Movement is avowedly Zionist. It says that central to it is the relationship between Jewish people and the state of Israel. It's also definitely, consistently and unashamedly anti-Corbyn. Jewish Voice for Labour is people who tend to be critical. It's a lot of organizations to keep track of. So just a reminder, in episode two, we talked to the co-founder of Jewish Voice for Labour. But now we're talking about the Jewish labor movement. You have a number of people who are interviewed in the film who are presented as young Jewish members of the Labour Party. They're not captioned. 
they're anonymous. I wouldn't say to a friend, go to a Labour Party meeting if you're Jewish. I, I couldn't do that to someone I cared about. Quite frankly, my Jewish friends don't feel safe or welcome in the Labour Party. Most of them were not only members of the Jewish Labour Movement, they were officials in the Jewish Labour Movement. Peter Oborn. Now, the fact that they were part of the Jewish Labour Movement doesn't mean that what they were saying was untrue at all. But it is relevant that they were officials for an anti-Corbynite part of the Labour Party, an organised movement. Izzy Lenger, who's just presented on the programme as a young Jewish activist, in fact, she was the international officer of the Jewish Labour Movement. That was withheld from the viewer. And there's another group inside the Labour Party, Jewish Voice for Labour, which supports Corbyn. And there was no mention of them at all. Now, the Jewish Labour Movement would say we encounter anti-Semitism the whole time, the whole time. Jewish Voice for Labour would say, I have almost no experience of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party at all. There is an answer to how those two things can be true, is that the definition of anti-Semitism is just different for these two groups. That's right, exactly. exactly. That's why it's important to talk about yes. this definition. Yes. Now, I recognize it is a bit odd spending this much time critiquing a program. You could say a rival program. But remember, this documentary is released a few months before a national election. It makes an indelible mark on the minds of voters, and it's no stretch to say may have affected the course of political history in Britain. After all, we know who won that election. We broke the deadlock, we ended the gridlock, we smashed the roadblock. A new dawn rises on a new day and a new government. The 2019 election was a wipeout for Labour, and Jeremy Corbyn stepped down as leader soon thereafter. I want to also make it clear that I will not lead the party in any future general election campaign. The result is the Jeremy Corbyn experiment ends in calamity, and the anti-Semitism scandal played a sizable, by no means definitive, but a sizable role in his defeat. I do remember thinking that the anti-Semitism was dominating in a way that seemed strange because you were dealing with Boris, you were dealing with Brexit, you had huge issues. And I was like, man, this really is an engulfing scandal. I think it dominated so much because it served the interests of an enormous range of, of, of interest groups. The Labour right, the traditional right wing, and the Israel lobby, yeah. you know, it served the interests of all and those groups. the media, groups. it's a good scandal, right? Yeah, it's a good story. Bear in mind here, it's a much bigger issue for the sort of media political establishment in London than it seems to be for people in the country. What destroys the Labour Party is Brexit. This also exposed some flaws in Corbyn as a candidate. I mean, he was unable to really respond to this anti-Semitism in a forceful way. He really didn't know what to do with Brexit. He was kind of stuck in the middle. He wasn't a perfect candidate, and I think he was shown the door. Corbyn was certainly flawed. I mean, I don't think he was ever designed to be a front-ranked politician. Not least because he wasn't ruthless. One of the great ironies of this whole story is that the people who behave like a ruthless Trotskyite sect are the Labour right. You know, the Labour left, they turned up with a knife to a gunfight. You know, they were just outmaneuvered. And that takes us into the final chapter of the Corbyn era. And this illustrates a key thing you need to take away from this story. The area where Corbyn really does get a raw deal. 
2020, the Equality Human Rights Commission, EHRC, releases a report. And that very day, Jeremy Corbyn is suspended from the party he had served for more than 30 years. A Channel 4 news story from that day highlights the three main conclusions in the report. That Labour broke equality's law on three counts by failing to provide adequate training for those dealing with complaints, by allowing unlawful harassment and discrimination of Jewish Labour members, and through political interference in the complaints process. Now let's take those one by one. The first one, training. What it actually says is that they did introduce training, but it lacked a practical component. Two, allowed unlawful harassment and discrimination of Labour members. This involves entirely around two people, Ken Livingston, the former mayor of London, and a woman called Pam Bromley, who was a local councillor somewhere. Pam Bromley had actually been expelled by the party for anti-Semitism, and Ken Livingston was pressured into resigning. So you've taken two very peripheral figures. But let's come to the third one. That's the big one, which is hugely important, hugely important. And in a way, it very much echoes the panorama here. Both the panorama and the EHRC lay great stress on interference by the leadership. Both of them, in my opinion, rather fudged the nature of that interference. Here's where you have to remember the unique situation Jeremy Corbyn finds himself in when he becomes leader in 2015. Although he is the public face of the party, he doesn't control the party apparatus, and that means he doesn't control the complaints process for anti-Semitism. In retrospect, what many of his supporters would say is that he should have done what Keir Starmer has done, which is to come in, sack the general secretary. He didn't do that. He sought to work with the party bureaucracy for the next two and a half years. It isn't until spring of 2018 that a Corbyn ally, a woman called Jenny Formby, is named general secretary. He gets his person in at Labor HQ, and almost immediately there's a change. They do make this phase shift very quickly during this period to vigorously investigating anti-Semitism. Some say almost investigating it at the exclusion of other important issues. That's right, there's a dramatic shift. We have access to the hard statistics and and you can see it, they go through the roof. Yes, in 2019, there were 45 expulsions. In 2017, there had been only one. And there was a huge difference between the two. And if you read the EHRC report carefully, it's clear that the majority of the criticism relates to the period before 2018, when Corbyn has no control over the party. It's understandable to say, look, you're the leader of the party. Anything that happens under your watch while you're the leader is your fault. But I don't think anyone knew at the time, or at least lay people didn't know at the time, that there were actually two separate camps. The very people who were ultimately responsible for the investigations process, the complaints process, were actively hostile to the leader. Corbyn again and again and again condemned anti-Semitism in the strongest terms. There is no place whatsoever for anti-Semitism in any shape or form or in any place whatsoever in modern Britain and under a Labour government it will not be tolerated in any form whatsoever. I want to make that clear. And what people always turned around and said, well, that's all well and good. It's what you do that matters. It's whether you root this out from the party. And the numbers show that when he finally gets control, he actually does a great deal. So, back to this issue of interference. 
because this is really the aspect that ultimately sinks him. Remember, for most of Corbyn's tenure, there are two camps, his people in the leader's office and a group of anti-Corbyn members of the labor right running things at HQ. Both the EHRC report and the Panorama program lay enormous stress on the idea that leadership, i.e. Corbyn, is interfering in the complaints process. I think anyone who followed the subject in the media would absolutely have taken it as a given that interference was aimed at protecting anti-Semites, protecting their mates. However, the nature of the interference, in almost all cases, was completely the opposite. The Corbyn leadership was constantly pressuring for harder, faster measures on anti-Semitism in as much as there was an interference at all. It was primarily in that direction. Saying, it was to, you're not doing enough. You're not Go doing faster. enough. Make, make these punishments tougher and do it quicker. Which, to be fair, is interference. Well, that is interference. And there's one email in particular that is a cornerstone, you might say, the cornerstone of the Panorama program. It's cited time and again in subsequent media reports as documented proof of interference. The email is from 2018, from an interregnum period between when Ian McNichol steps down as general secretary and Jenny Formby, a Corbyn ally, is about to take over. It's an email that's sent by Seamus Milne in the spring of 2018 to the complaints department following a request for input from the leader's office. Seamus Milne is a former Guardian reporter who became executive director of strategy and communications for Jeremy Corbyn. And it can't be stressed enough that Labor HQ specifically asked the leader's office for help during this interregnum period. Here's how the story was presented by Labor's head of complaints, Sam Matthews, on the Panorama program. Mr. Corbyn and his office have repeatedly said that when party members are accused of anti-Semitism, they don't interfere in the disciplinary process. Indeed, the Labour Party said any such suggestion is categorically untrue. But in an email, Mr. Corbyn's Director of Communications, Seamus Milne, asked for a review of the disciplinary process into anti-Semitic complaints. There was a risk, he said, of muddling up political disputes with racism. The poll quote on the screen says, we need to review. And those four simple words were cited by critics over and over again in the days before the 2019 election. Listen to what happens when left-wing columnist Owen Jones tries to put this email evidence into context during an appearance on the BBC. Host Victoria Derbyshire shuts him down. Members of those Labour staff emailed the Labour leadership asking for assistance. They then complained about interference ha- from the Labour leadership, which, which is what they themselves had requested during that period. Now, I think... The phrase, w- we need to review this, come on, you know that's interference. Uh, it's worth pointing out that Jones had it exactly right, but actually he didn't know the half of it. The complete email is in the Labour files. Milne is giving his take on a pending disciplinary case, as he had been asked to do. Here's James Schneider, who worked alongside Seamus in the communications office. So this is an email sent by Seamus Milne to senior staff in Party HQ. It reads, This member is a Jewish activist, the son of a Holocaust survivor. If we're more than very occasionally using disciplinary action against Jewish members for anti-Semitism, 
something's going wrong and we're muddling up political disputes with racism. Quite apart from this specific case, I think going forward, we need to review where and how we're drawing the line if we're going to have clear and defensible processes. The BBC produced a documentary bearing directly on the character and the fitness for office of the leader of the Labour Party, the leader of Her Majesty's opposition, in a moment of intense constitutional crisis. Now that's a momentous intervention in British politics. So I do think the BBC have to look really carefully at their record here. An independent party inquiry from the summer of 2022, the Ford Report, looked into all of this. It really does question the allegations presented to the Panorama program that there is documented evidence of Corbyn's office intervening in anti-Semitism complaints. It was the staff in HQ requesting assistance, and the assistance was reasonable and given in good faith. There was no attempt to impose its will. In fact, a close reading of the initial EHRC report, the one that got Corbyn suspended from the party, shows that what was branded as interference was actually the leadership demanding that the process speed up. As for the Milne email, well, the Ford report reviewed that too. It concludes that the version of it presented to the BBC is entirely misleading. But it's something else too. Great irony is that this is totally correct. James Schneider. Because the Labour Party has actually, again and again, disciplined Jewish people disproportionately for anti-Semitism. Jenny Manson of Jewish Voice for Labour. Jewish members of the Labour Party, we've calculated, are 6.3 times more likely to be investigated by the Labour Party for allegations of anti-Semitism than non-Jews in the Labour Party. JVL officers, all of us have been investigated now. Every single one of us has had a notice of investigation. I might say that, get emotional for a moment. Getting these letters, to be called anti-Semites, we're all old, our parents were Holocaust victims effectively. My mother escaped a pogrom. How dare they tell us they're anti-Semitic? No one denies that there was anti-Semitism in the Labour Party during the Corbyn years. Some of it was overt, disgusting, inarguable. But a lot of it was not so cut and dry and is the subject of a fierce debate, both political and religious, over a new and expanded definition of anti-Semitism. Like Jenny Manson, Andrew Feinstein got a letter too. I was in South Africa doing work with state agencies when I received a notice of investigation. In his native South Africa, where years ago he was the first member of parliament to introduce a motion on the Holocaust, specifically on Holocaust remembrance, that's where he was when he finds out he's being investigated for anti-Semitism. My notice of investigation concerned 12 to 15 tweets or retweets. A YouTube video that I had never seen before of a speech I gave at a film festival in Belgium in that speech, he criticized the Israeli occupation. This is something that I have done innumerable times during the course of my professional and personal life. As a Jew, as the son of a Holocaust survivor, as someone who has been involved in anti-racist struggles since my teens, to be accused of racism, to be accused of anti-Semitism, is frankly terrifying. 
they have created an incredibly hostile environment for anybody, including any Jew, who is in any way critical of Israel. And that brings us back to what we call our animating question. Remember the statement that got Jeremy Corbyn finally suspended. He said, the scale of labor's anti-Semitism problem has been dramatically overstated for political reasons. Well, now you can judge for yourself. Was it? What is now abundantly clear is that the debate over anti-Semitism has taken up a whole lot of oxygen in a party that already has its share of problems. A lot of people of color within the Labour Party would say that a clear hierarchy of racism became established because they were so desperate to deal with the anti-Semitism thing. I mean, our analysis of the figures in the Labour files shows that disciplinary cases coming before the National Executive Committee in the Corbyn era, 82% are about anti-Semitism. The Ford report found there was indeed such a hierarchy of racism in the party. We put the contents of this podcast to the Labour Party. It declined to comment on any of the individual cases covered, but it said it was a rules-based body that followed its rules. It also referred us to its 2020 action plan for driving out anti-Semitism and told us that rooting out anti-Semitism had been its, quote, number one priority since Sir Keir Starmer became leader. Sam Matthews responded to the Ford Report's finding that the treatment of Seamus Milne's email was, quote, entirely misleading, by describing that finding itself as misleading. He told us that Mr. Milne was not responding to a request for his opinion made from within the disputes team, and that the leader's office was the driving force in overturning the suspension in question. Mr. Matthews and other labor officials also stated that no complaints process could have dealt with the exponential volume of complaints, both of anti-Semitism and otherwise, that followed Mr. Corbyn's election as leader and the growth and membership that this triggered. This was the principal reason why a complaints backlog developed during the first two years of the Corbyn leadership. The Jewish labor movement responded on behalf of a number of its members, including Izzy Lange, to say that anti-Semitism in the Labor Party was real and devastating for those affected by it. They pointed to the EHRC, Ford, and Panorama reports in support and said that all attempts to challenge the findings of those reports had failed. The BBC said that its Panorama documentary was a serious piece of investigative journalism about a matter of high public interest. The issues raised were done so in context and with due impartiality and accuracy. And the Labour Party's response was fairly and accurately represented prominently throughout the program. When the program was transmitted, a general election was not expected until June of 2022. The presenter of the program, John Ware, added that he did not accept the findings of the Ford report. Okay, Richard, time for your final thoughts. It's not a stretch to say, after working on this investigation, you are among the world's foremost experts on this topic. What do you say to people listening who might take issue with this episode? People like Izzy Langa, Luciana Berger, who say they don't feel safe in the party. You know, most Jewish people I know, sort of liberal Zionists, who are very exercised about Corbyn, Absolutely sincere, absolutely sincere. An awful lot of Jewish people do feel that fundamental hostility to Israel can only be understood as anti-Semitism. Now, you can disagree with that, but I think they sincerely feel that. 
Okay, what about Palestinians like Radakami, who we talked to in episode two, whose family was removed from their home? What of them? Palestinians would say, almost with one voice, that Israel is and always has been a state whose defining feature is that it's structured to ensure the domination of one ethnicity over another. The enormous pain and complexity of Israel is that Israel is both a response to the most horrific racism and also, so far as its critics are concerned, it has adopted policies that are themselves racist. Many of the world's leading human rights organizations, including the Israeli organization B'Tselem, now categorize it as an apartheid state. And I think that in light of that, I think in 20 or 30 years' time, when people look back on this, they'll see a situation where for seven years, the political and media establishment focused its anti-racist spotlight ferociously, not on the apartheid state and its supporters, but on the victims of that state and their supporters. Next time on The Labor Files, to the victor goes the spoils. The labor right takes back control, and leader Keir Starmer seems in no mood to reconcile. He has hounded out the left. He's shut down democracy where it's threatened his control. He has purged left-wingers. This episode was produced by me, Kevin Hurton, and Richard Sanders, with help from Lydia Morish. Peter Charlie is the executive producer. Craig Pennington is our sound designer. Clean Cuts does the final sound mix. Nay Alvarez is the head of audio. And Phil Reese is Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism. We will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>